Hey everyone, welcome to Brainsplain. I'm your host, Caitlin Merrick, and joining me today is the founder and CEO of Neurometrics, Dr. Shai Ghazani. Super excited to have you here today, Dr. Ghazani, so welcome. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. So to kind of kick it off, I would like to just hear a little bit just about yourself. What initially got you interested in the work that you do and kind of how you got to the position that you hold today? Sure. Well, I'll try to do the abbreviated version because I've been at this for a while. Uh, but, um, you know, kind of going back to college, I was, um, I went to uh, UC Berkeley, grew up in the Bay Area, California, went to UC Berkeley uh, as a computer science major. Um, a long time ago, computer science wasn't as popular as, as it is now, but it was, it was, you know, still fairly popular back then. Uh, and after, uh, after that, I took my first job actually on the East Coast at uh, what, used to, what was called Bell Laboratories, uh, AT&T Bell Labs. Not a lot of people know that, but it was, it was a really interesting place. They did, used to do a lot of research. And they had a really interesting program where you would work for them uh, for six months, and then they'd send you back to go to get your master's degree, uh, typically like in electrical engineering and computer science. So I did that, and I went back to Berkeley uh, for my master's degree. And in the midst of that, I, um, I, I had to find a project, which often, you know, like a feat master's thesis, and which you usually often do. And I got really interested in this neuroscience lab. It was kind of an interesting laboratory. Uh, it was run by a, a, a physicist um, who was like a child of the 60s. <laughs> he was an interesting guy, John Miller. He's now in, in, in Montana State. But he, uh, he had these really, he was a physicist who turned into a neuroscientist and had this really cool laboratory studying how crickets uh, uh, escape predators uh, and trying to understand how their, how their little cricket brains do that. It was a really interesting project. So I, I just got fascinated by it. And I, and I joined that to do my master's degree in electrical engineering. I was developing like an engine system to help measure the, the, the neural signals. And I just became uh, really fascinated by neuroscience which you could probably appreciate as a neuroscientist, why, why one would do that. Uh, and so I ended up staying on as a, uh, to do a PhD in neuroscience at Berkeley. Uh, but then kind of in the middle of that, I said I really wanted to apply that to human disease, not just crickets. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so I ended up going to medical school, which took me back to the East Coast in Boston. And um, I did that, finished my PhD, did medical school. Uh, and then a postdoc uh, in neuroscience, and then uh, pursued a passion of mine, which was to start a company. And so coming out of my postdoc, I started Neurometrics, and that's 20, 24 years ago now when I started the company. So that, that's kind of the abbreviated story. There were a lot of probably stop, fits and fits, starts and stops along the way, but that's, that's kind of least in, least as I remember it, that's how it happens. Yeah, that, that is really awesome. I think one of the reasons that I really wanted to get you on here to talk about some of your stuff is when I started to really get into the neuro stuff, one of my like biggest things was I felt like there was a way that we could handle so many different just health issues, like neurological specifically without pain medication, because there, that has been like such a big problem, this whole opiate thing, and it's an epidemic, you know, and I really just felt like there was a way to, to get around that with neuroscience. And so then I see some of the stuff that you're doing, and that is the direction that you're going in. And that's really cool to me. I appreciate that. I mean, there's, you know, the opioid crisis and you know, its intersection with chronic pain is a really complicated story um, with, you know, two sides to it. Uh, we can talk about that at some point as well. But, um, but yeah, you know, I think there's, there's increasing recognition that, not everything has to be a drug. Um, 
that you know and now you're and, and you know we're I'm, as an electrical engineer my interest was always my passion you know in, in medicine is to bring engineering to medicine so I'm not a I'm not a molecular biologist like my brother is a molecular biologist at Stanford you know we we can't like talk to each other because like he, I, we talk different languages you know we can talk about sports but that's about the only common thing we have so they're really very different when you you know you talk about molecular biology and, and, and electrical engineering although increasingly there are starting to be some some overlap but um, there are ways you know and I think it, it's uh, it's it's not as far along um, but of course there's implantable stimulators and deep brain stimulators and devices like ours which are, are you know on the skin stimulators it goes by the term electroceuticals you know instead of pharmaceuticals electroceuticals and and it's uh it's a very interesting and expanding field and i think it will become more and more important over the next 10 to 20 years yeah absolutely i think that's one of my biggest things too is like we are really just touching the surface of this so it's going to be crazy how much that expands in you know the coming years definitely so kind of going off of that, I guess, for people who are listening that don't really know what you do, or, you know, I'm kind of talking about this stuff, could you briefly explain like the whole, just the idea, the benefits of Quell and the DPN check? I think that's the other one. Yeah, so we, uh, we have two, two main products. Um, and they're, they seemingly are different, but they actually have a very common, uh, at least engineering underpinning. So the, the older product, uh, which really dates back, at least its predecessors date back to when we started the company, it's called DPN Check. And uh, DPN is an acronym for Diabetic Peripheral Neuropathy, which is the nerve disease associated with uh, diabetes. It's the most common long-term complication in diabetes, and it's the one that causes diabetics to lose sensation in their feet. They ultimately can get uh, uh, injuries in their feet because they can't sense it. Um, those become infected and can become what's called foot ulcers, and then ultimately can lead to amputation, which has a very high morbidity and mortality. So um, that's what that's that that's sort of why people with diabetes have are amputate have amputations. So uh, this DPN check device is actually it measures um, the the function of the nerve, um, very um, you know in the in the ankle, uh, which is where the or foot, which is where it's that, that disease process starts. Um, and what's unique about it is it's objective. So it, it's actually measuring the, the nerve signals as if they were, they are, um, uh, like the wiring in your, in your, in your house. I mean, it's really electrical testing. So it stimulates the nerve and it, it measures the signal that propagates in the nerve a small distance. It looks at those characteristics. Um, and then, so that's a purely diagnostic product, which, um, is used by physicians all over the world. Many, many millions of patients have been tested with that. Um, and then uh, Quell is also a nerve stimulator, but for a very different reason. It's stimulating the nerves, and, we, and it stimulates the nerves around the calf. And that um, this nerve stimulation, can, uh, uh, which feels not, not painful stimulation, but it's called sensory stimulation. So it feels like a buzzing or a slight pressure or something like that. It's not painful. Uh, that actually blocks pain. Um, and that's a well-known well -known, uh, concept. So in that case, we're using the nerve stimulation as a blocking mechanism, a therapeutic mechanism. In the other case, we're using as a diagnostic. So those are the basically the two. Equel, um, very different. We sell that direct. It's available, excuse me, over the counter. So that's a, that's sold directly to consumers. You can get it on Amazon or, or our website, um, other places, um, pharmacies. 
And uh, we worked, we wanted to do that because we wanted to make it widely available to chronic, chronic pain sufferers. So they didn't have to necessarily go and get a prescription and deal with all that kind of stuff. They could just get it online or get it at a pharmacy and, and use it to try to, as part of their overall strategy of controlling their pain and hopefully as a result not have to use as many of the more toxic medications like opioids and such yeah that's super interesting and kind of going off of that and you know the way that this electric stimulation works it's kind of acting as an endogenous opiate and i'm curious like i don't know so could somebody like possibly still get addicted to that kind of relief because it it is still kind of acting as that endogenous opioid where it's, I don't know, it is, it's pain relief, you know what I mean? Right. So obviously mm-hmm. not to the extent of like an opiate pill that becomes that addictive, but could that be a thing? Um, no. And, and the reason for that, and there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no proof. There's no demonstrated. It hasn't been demonstrated. And the reason is when you, you're right, it does act through endogenous opioids and, and the same receptors that are activated by, or some of the same receptors or similar receptors that are active, molecular receptors that are activated by um, electrical stimulation are activated by prescription opioids. But the the big difference is when you stimulate, you're operating through very specific pathways. um, And when you take take a prescription opioid, it's going everywhere. So the reason you get addiction um, is because the opioids are accessing parts of your brain called your reward centers um, in your brain. So it's activating parts of the brain that um, associate that with reward and, and feedback, positive feedback. And so there's a, whole, there's a whole process there for addiction. When you stimulate with, you know, electrically, it's very precise. You're not stimulating that part of the brain. Um, so you're not activating those reward centers. Now, you could still in principle get like a kind of like a psychological addiction, like you know, like because you know, you 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 become reliant on it. Some, but that's not really addiction, um, in a in in a, in a similar sense. So, um, so no, there's really no no, there's no there's no history of that, no experience like that, um, and that's why it's so so attractive as a as a pain relief uh, approach. Um, now, it's it's not necessarily you know, it, it opioids are very effective, you know, in many ways as as pain relievers. So it's, it's, it's actually challenging to get a similar level of pain relief without the, you know, but without given, you know, without the addictive aspects, but, but you could do pretty well with those, with electrical stimulation. Yeah, definitely. This is kind of making me think like, so you're talking about those specific pathways and how it's not getting to that reward part of the brain. So I'm kind of thinking about like, okay, this, you said you put it on your calf, right? So my first question is, why specifically on the calf? And then my second question would be, can you localize it? Like, can you say, okay, I have chronic back pain and find a way where it's localized, where it's only healing that pain and not being sent everywhere? Well, so the the strongest pain relief you're going to get from stimulating is where you stimulate. <clears throat> uh, now, the, stimu- the, the, the pain blocking is not occurring at the point of stimulation. So the simple way to think about it, you may have you may have learned you know, about the pain gate theory, but the basic idea is you've got different part, different nerves bring pain into the, into the, the brain, into the spine, into the central nervous system, first the spinal cord and then it goes up to the brain. And, and the nerves are different than the ones that carry sensation, like your ability, your, your sense of touch and feel and so forth, that's not painful. 
So essentially the, the pain signals and the sensory signals converge in the spinal cord in at various points along the way up to the brain uh, where you feel it. It gets all the way to your sensory cortex and that's how you feel it, right? That's why you know you're stimulating. So um, there's almost what, what happens is at the point of the, when they enter the spinal cord, the sensory signals close the gate, as it's called, it's, it's kind of an abstraction to the pain signals getting to the brain. So they basically decrease the flow of pain signals getting to the brain. And that, that effect is strongest when you stimulate the sensory signals in, uh, in the same vicinity as the pain signals. So generally you place, you place the, you stimulate or in the general vicinity of the pain. Uh, that's gonna give you the most, the most valuable blocking. So you could stimulate at the back, you could stimulate at different places. We chose the calf uh, for a number of reasons. We're primarily focused on lower extremity pain. So like leg pain, knee pain, foot pain. So it's in that vicinity. So that was one of the reasons. The other was we wanted to make it a wearable because it, the effect of electrical stimulation is very short lived. So, um, you know, you almost have to wear it pretty, pretty consistently, um, 12 hours a day or even day and night. So we wanted to be a wearable, like a Fitbit or a, an Apple watch. And, you know, to, to put a device that's not, it's, it's, we've gotten out, so it's quite small, but yeah, there aren't that many places on the body you can, you can, you can do that. And the calf is actually a good place because it's not that cumbersome. Uh, people, it could be, you know, under your clothing, you don't have to announce to the world you're wearing such a device. And also the area of the upper calf is highly innervated. I mean, there's a lot of nerves there. So it's a good place to tap into the nervous system. So for all those different reasons, we, we coalesced around the, uh, around that location, but um, we might in the future uh, design devices for other parts of the body in order to get other types of, of, of pain. Gotcha. Yeah, that's interesting. I read that you said you can personalize therapy for each person. Is that controlled through something that like they go onto on their phone or something like that? And then just how does that work in general? Yeah. Um, so the device is is tied to a mobile app called the Quad Relief app. Um, um, it runs on, you know, iPhones and, and Android phones. And, um, it, there's a lot of different settings, um, that it, because everybody's different. Uh, some people like it, um, every hour on the hour, others like, you know, shorter intervals or longer intervals. Um, we have a customization where the way it stimulates while you're sleeping could just help you fall asleep, but not stimulate during the night or other, other modes where it could stimulate continuously during the night, if that's what you need. Because a lot of people with chronic pain can't sleep because of the pain, which then exacerbates the pain. So it kind of gets into a vicious cycle. Um, and then there's, there's a whole bunch of other, other uh, optimizations and customization features that um, really try to, try to make the stimulation as seamless and as, um, aligned to your particular you know life and lifestyle um and your particular kind of pain so that's what we mean by personalization so there's a whole host of settings we call it we kind of we, we get we, we we it's called we call it therapy autopilot because the idea is that you um you know it's like an autopilot like it just you, you know if you're going to wear it you can't be fidgeting with this thing all the time or you're not going to use it so the idea is it should be smart and just do what it needs to do uh, and if you got to jump in there, maybe you've got more pain today and increase it a little bit or decrease it. That's fine. Just like a, like a pilot would take control of, of the plane. Um, you know, we wanted, we wanted to have that model. So to get to that therapy autopilot concept, you know, you have to sort of set, set the parameters for your particular needs. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. Um, I'm also kind of curious, have you guys been working on any other like 
big projects like this over at Neurometrics or is it more of a improving what you have? Yeah, you, you know, companies go through these phases where you're developing new products, you know, from scratch or totally new, what we might call a platform. And then you go through other part, other phases where you're really focused on selling those products because ultimately you're a company and, you know, you need to make money. Um, otherwise, you're not, not going to be around very long. So, so you know, right now, and R&D is expensive. Uh, you know, research and development is expensive and, 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 and time consuming. So right now, we're, we're really satisfied with, with the platforms that we have, the diagnostic platform, the therapeutic platform, and DPN, Check, and Quell. But you're always, you're always, you know, we have a pretty good R&D team and we're pretty, we invest heavily in R&D. But now we're focused on improving them, as you suggested versus the next great thing because you can always sort of you know think the grass is greener on the other other side and always look for the next product the next product the next product but the reality is it's a lot of work to take a product concept particularly if it's not just something that everybody already uses and these are novel products and create markets um, around them and brands i mean you have to educate physicians and consumers and sometimes insurance companies and others to understand the value. You have to do clinical studies. You have to have regulatory issues with the FDA and so on and so forth. There's a lot of heavy lifting that has way beyond just the R&D, you know, that, to make it a reality. So if you're always going on to the next thing, you're never investing the time and energy. Um, and sometimes it's not as fun. You know, the R&D, particularly for an engineer, is like it's always fun to make the next product. But if your product isn't getting out there in the hands of patients, you're not impacting people. So to get it to impact people, um, you got to you got to be able to get into the market, and there's a lot of work. So that's that's what we're focused on now. But again, you know, in a few years we might you know we might you know start working on another platform. Um, so most of our R and D right now is really on you know you take feedback you get from the market features and you know things that people are looking for, and you you know you decide which ones make sense, and you you, know, you come up with next versions. Um, but it's not like an app, you know, it's not like some app or, or game. I mean, you can't just put, you know, make changes and put it out there. You've got to go through the FDA. I mean, it's a complicated process. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you said that because I didn't really think about it like that. Like if you're not taking the time to focus on this one thing and go through that process thoroughly, you're not going to impact people, you know, and like you said, it's better to do that and have an impact than to just move on to the next thing and not have the impact right. that you could. It, it's, it's the difference in some ways between academics and industry. You know, academics is about doing science and you know, you're only trying to, you're not, you're not concerned appropriately. It's not the purpose. You're not concerned about getting something that has practical impact. You're just trying to answer scientific questions. You move on to the next scientific question, the next grant. In industry, you're really trying to make a specific impact. You're trying to get the product in the hands of physicians and patients and healthcare. Um, and, um, you know, it, that's as much work as the R and D, uh, and not the same, necessarily the same people are always going to be good or interested in the different parts. So a company has R and D and has marketing as clinical as regulatory has all these different functions. Yeah, definitely. That's very interesting. I'm curious, kind of building off of this. Do you think that something like this, this, I forget what you called it before. Instead of like pharmaceutical, it was like... Electroceutical. Electroceutical, yeah. Do you think that that could really be the complete future of medicine? I mean, obviously that's going to be far down the road, but something like this eventually, if optimized enough, could make an opioid obsolete. You know what I mean? I'm just curious to hear your opinions on that. 
I don't think so. I think that their drugs are very effective um, in, you know, in certain applications, particularly as you look at, you know, immunotherapy for cancer, like electroceuticals aren't going to treat cancer. Um, but um, for things like pain and uh, even inflammatory conditions, there's a lot of work on uh, stimulating certain nerves and parts of the brain for inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis. Um, there's, there's a lot of potential there. Um, so I don't think it's an either or. I think it's an expansion of the options. Um, and again, where some, some areas where electroceuticals make a ton of sense, uh, pain being one of them. Um, in other areas, like I said, I mentioned, you know, cancer, uh, they, it doesn't, you know, already probably the, one of the most effective treatment, you know, uh, take an example, uh, Parkinson's disease. Uh, a lot of people know like Michael J. Fox, you know, he has, he has Parkinson's disease. Uh, historically it was always treated with, um, it's called dopamine agonist. So it's you know, basically dopamine because there's a dope, there's not enough dopamine in the brain. That's what happens to Parkinson's and you become stiff and have a difficult time walking and you have tremors and such so you know now probably it's been right probably at least 10 15 years medtronic um has had a and others now have these um stimulators that go in deep in the brain they're called deep brain stimulators dbs and they're um they basically um stimulate the brain to make its own dopamine um and they're very very effective so there's an example where something that was traditionally historically always treated pharmacologically and dopamine drugs have a lot of a lot of side effects uh, is now can now be treated with an electrical device um, better. Uh, now it's a big, you know, it's surgery, right? You got to get a device into the brain. It's complicated. So, so there are always, you know, ups, you know, pluses and minuses. Um, but you know, other conditions um, really, you know, benefit from one or the other. And you know, it's just really, it's just really looking at another. It's another way of, of addressing disease. Uh, you know, the other thing that's really interesting that's expanding is the use of. Um, you know, mobile technologies and apps, you know, and you're seeing uh, uh, apps that are being approved for treat, you know, by the FDA for treating certain conditions like addiction. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a couple of addiction um, apps that are, are, are what's called cleared by the FDA and are prescribed by a company called Pair Therapeutics. And so, yeah, there's a, a just came out in the last few weeks about a company called Achille. Uh, which is a game to treat ADHD in children, um, and it helps them it helps them manage that. So there's a lot of different ways that technology can can complement uh, pharmacologic approaches. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Like you said, it's not going to be one or the other. Like, oh, this is going to take over, but it it does it complements it well. I could ask you like a million more questions, but I want to be conscious of your time. I told you it'd only be like 30 minutes. So um, thank you so much for joining me today. And for anybody who ends up listening to this episode, and if they want to learn more about you or the work that you do, where can they find you? Um, they can go to either www.quellrelief.com for quell or www.neurometrics.com, N-E-U-R-O-M-E-T-R-I-X. That's our corporate website. And that has pointers to all our different products. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely.